were talking about upside-down marriage, surprising thoughts on finding and building a life of love. And, and really what we've been talking about is there's so much out there about marriage. There's so much out there about love and, and kind of different advice that you can get about that and different ideas about that. So, so much that's out there. You can, I went into a Barnes & Noble the other day. You guys, you guys know what that is? It used to exist like 50 years ago. And apparently it still is. We went to the bathroom there. That's the reason because we were downtown. And they're like, Where, where's, the, where's the closest bathroom? <laughs> Sorry, my wife's laughing at me. Telling you my bathroom habits, but we, we were downtown shopping, and they're like, where's the closest bathroom? Like Barnes & Noble. So that's why they're still in business is because they have a bathroom. So we went in there, and, um, I mean, they've got, you know, tons of marriage books. I mean, there's just so much that you can uh, learn about and think about marriage. And yet when you come to the Bible, there's often some very surprising things. So if you think about just the, the most common topics, whether that's conflict or communication or sex or friendship or love and just any of those things, you come to the Bible and often there's some very different and surprising things that it teaches us that are either totally crazy or maybe they're upside down in a way that actually is helpful. And obviously we think they're helpful and that's why we spent 10 weeks talking about them. And tonight we're going to talk about um, something I think is maybe one of the most unusual things about marriage that the Bible would teach us. And it's, and it's really different from what we've talked about um, all the other things that we've talked about are things that, whether it's a Christian book or uh, a book that is not coming from a Christian perspective, that's just a marriage book, it, it, usually the books include a lot of the same stuff. So there's a chapter on conflict, a chapter on sex, maybe a chapter on kids, a chapter on communication, a lot of the same stuff. But what we're going to talk about tonight is usually not something that's even talked about at all and yet is one of the most important things for marriage. It's one of the most important things that the Bible presents to us about marriage, and yet it's something that is rarely even talked about. And so this is what we will begin to finish our time with talking about tonight. And, and how I want to uh, move in that direction is just think about maybe your last, uh, and you might be married and you might not be married, but just think about those last, if, if you envision yourself getting married at some point, envision those last five years of your marriage. Envision those last five years. And if you're not married, that might be, you know, obviously difficult to even do. But just think about what, what do you want that last five years to look like? What, what is it that you, what does that picture look like to you? What does a picture of the last five years of your life together look like? And a lot of times what probably comes to mind is some sort of vision of retirement and maybe um, sitting on a rocking chair and just talking about the good old days. It may be surrounded by your grandchildren. It may be um, on a beach in Hawaii collecting shells. It might be on a yacht. I mean, who knows? It's just, but what does those last five years look like when you think about, man, this is what I hope we're moving towards. This is what I hope we're actually going to aim at. That's a really important question to think about is, what is it that you're, what's the focus? What are you aiming at? What do you hope to hit? What is kind of the north star in your relationship? And if, even if you're not married yet, that you would hope to actually get to. What does that look like for you? And my hope, as we end the series talking about marriage, is that those last few years are God's goal for you. That when you envision those last five years, when you envision, hey, here's where we're going, here's where we're trying to get to, here's where the focus is, that it is what God's hope for you is. It's what God's goal for you is. 
And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And let's start with this question. How important is marriage? How important is marriage? I mean, obviously we think it's important. We've been spending 10 weeks talking about it. But how important is marriage? As you think about kind of where you're going and that focus and that goal, let's start kind of that process of thinking with just asking how important is marriage? How important is it? And here's, let's, let's look at some things that Jesus says. Here's one thing that Jesus says. And we've looked at this verse before, but here's what he says. He says, therefore, and he's quoting from Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And Jesus says, this is kind of the most popular marriage verse. Uh, Everybody quotes it. And he says this, therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Okay, so here's something that's really interesting in this verse. When we ask the question, how important is marriage? Jesus says two people come together. A man leaves his father and his mother and he holds fast to his wife. This is kind of what you see happening on the human level, right? A man leaves his father and mother. A woman leaves her father and mother and they hold fast to one another. Okay, that's, that's what you see happening. But Jesus says there's something deeper even happening. He says... They are no longer two, but one. And then he says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So Jesus says, there's not just this human dynamic happening. There's not just a human dynamic of two people spending way more money than they should spend, coming together and having all their friends buy them presents, which I wish you could just do that more often and register for things. I was always thought, why can't you just go register for things just for no fun? I mean, just for, just for fun. Just tell people, hey, I'm registered um, over here. For what? Just, I'm just registered there if you just want to get me a gift. So, and it, you know, if you're single, I feel like that's fair. I think you should send out announcements and let people know where you're registered. Once you hit 35, if you're not married, send out, you know, invitations to let people know, here's where I'm registered. I'll buy you a gift. Um, but here's, here's what he says. He says, what therefore God is joined together. So it's more than just what happens on the human level, that there's something happening spiritual, that actual spiritual reality exists when two people get married. So how important is marriage? Jesus says it's really important because there's something happening even beyond just the physical reality that you see, that there's a spiritual reality. I mean, we, we take this really seriously as a church. I mean, I, there, there have been people that have asked me to marry them and I, I've denied them because I didn't, based on the Bible and based on other things, didn't, didn't think I could with a clear conscience stand before God and say, these people should be joined together. Because Jesus takes it really seriously. He says there is not just some human dimension happening, but there is a spiritual reality that takes place. A spiritual reality. So yes, you see man and wife and they hold fast to one another, but but Jesus says God joins these people together. That it's a big deal, right? That marriage is not just two people kind of falling in love and then saying, well, you know, I guess it's that time. Let's, Let's go ahead and get married. Jesus says there's a spiritual reality that God joins people together. So how important is marriage? Jesus says it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. And yet, Jesus, it's kind of funny that the same Jesus that says this says something quite shocking. Jesus says this as well. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife 
and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's something you don't hear very often, right? Jesus says, you should hate your wife. That's kind of weird, right? I mean, you wouldn't, I've never preached, this has never been my marriage text during a sermon uh, for a wedding. So, So turn with me to Luke as we marry this couple. And Jesus says, He wants them to hate all of you, right? Now, when when Jesus talks like this, he he doesn't literally mean you should hate someone. We know that Jesus says that you are to love God and you're to love people as you're supposed to love yourself. You're supposed to love people as much as you love yourself, right? So we know that that's what Jesus teaches. And yet, when he says things like this, it's a comparison. It's a comparison. It's saying that, That to be my disciple, that in comparison, you should be willing to forsake everything else. That to follow me, it's a priority. But this is kind of a shocking statement, right? It's kind of a shocking statement if we were to go, what does Jesus teach us about marriage? And here he teaches with marriage and family that it's not the ultimate thing. there's There's a part where... Uh, some of the religious leaders come up to Jesus in the Bible, and they come up to him, and they, they're trying to trick him, as they often did, and they come up to him, and they say, hey, let's give this hypothetical scenario. Let's say there's a man, and he has a, oh no, let's say there's a, a woman, and she gets married, and then the, the guy dies, and then she gets married again, and that guy dies, and then there's bad, you know, bad luck to be married to this woman, and then, and then the next guy dies, and she has seven husbands. When she gets to heaven... Who is going to be her husband? And they're kind of trying to trick him. And Jesus says, well, none of them. Because in heaven, there's no marriage. Now, I don't know how that all works. Like, I don't, you know, when I die and, and Sarah dies, I, I don't know, you know, we're going to see each other and say, hey, remember when we were married? Like, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know, you know. It's like, hey, remember when we went to Barnes & Noble? Um, so... <laughs> I mean, I don't know how that all works, but Jesus says there's no marriage in heaven. There's no marriage in heaven. You know, even when people say their marriage vows, they say, till death do us part. But there is death. And then that parts you. That marriage isn't ultimate. And Paul says something really similar. Paul says this. Paul says, I think that in view of the present distress, so in their day, uh, Christians were being persecuted. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on. So that's what he's talking about when he's saying in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. So he's saying, you know, the world is crazy, but just because you're, you know, just because it's crazy don't, doesn't mean you should leave your wife. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. From now on, listen to this, from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, for the present form of this world is passing away. Let those who have wives live as though they had none. Is that the biblical teaching on marriage that you have heard before? If you go to focus on the family, you think there's a bumper sticker that says that? Let those who have wives, I mean, that sounds like a Vegas slogan, not so much something in the Bible. Let those who have wives live as though they had none. And yet, that's what Jesus says, and that's what Paul says. What does this mean? How important is marriage? How important is marriage? In one sense, we look at it, and it's very important. There's a spiritual reality happening that's so much more than just the physical, right? 
And yet, Jesus, Paul, others in the Bible teach it's not the ultimate thing. It's not the ultimate thing because it doesn't last forever. It's impermanent. It's something that when we die is gone. It's not the ultimate thing. Now, this this might be kind of unexpected or kind of weird to us, but think about a couple thousand years ago in a Middle Eastern high family culture. That was very, I mean, people thought Jesus was crazy when he said stuff like this. They, I mean, they, they didn't think it was just kind of weird and kind of funny and quirky. They, I mean, they thought it was crazy. And Jesus said other things that were very shocking and controversial about family when he said things like, my, they, they told him, hey, why aren't you really with your family? And he said, my brothers and sisters are those that do the will of God. And his family was trying to say, hey, come over here. But Jesus said, no, this is my family. I mean, it's very controversial to say something like that, forsake your brothers and your sisters and your father and your mother and your wife, for me. It's very controversial, very unexpected, very upside down. And because this, marriage is important, but it's not ultimate. You know, sometimes Christians, we think uh, family values, and if you're, a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you probably even know that this is something that Christians talk about, that family values are kind of a big thing. Christians can be like, man, that's our thing, family values. It's something Christians talk about a lot. And yet, if family values become family value, if family value where your family, your wife, your kids is the ultimate thing that means everything to you, it's the place that you're getting your own value, your own sense of worth, your own sense of identity, completely and totally. It's not ultimate. Jesus wants us to see this is important. It's a big deal. And yet it's not the ultimate thing. It's not the ultimate reality. It shouldn't be the thing that all of life is focused on. Because life is more than just that. Life is more than just marriage, if you're married. Life is more than just family, if you have a family. Life is more than that. That's not everything. It's important. It's a big deal. But when we hear what Jesus says, and we hear what Paul says, it's not everything. It's not ultimate. And oftentimes, I think especially for Christians, because it's such a good thing, it can usurp the calling that Jesus has for us. It can take over. It can become the only thing, the ultimate thing, where we build all of our life around, that all the decisions we make, that all the things that we're thinking about. And if you're not married or you don't have family and kids, this can happen too just with Christian community, that this is just everything, your friends, and it's everything to you. But what Paul says and what Jesus says is that life is more than that. Life is more than that. Life is so much more than just family. It's so much more than just a spouse. So, we don't hear, I mean, again, hear, how important is it? It's really important. Okay, we just spent the last 10 weeks talking about it. And yet it's not ultimate. It's not ultimate. So what is, what is, what should marriage be about? What should marriage be about? I mean, it's important, but it's not ultimate. And if it's not ultimate and it shouldn't just be about itself, what should it be about? If marriage is very important and Jesus holds it up as a spiritual reality, even beyond the physical reality, if it's important, 
And yet it's not ultimate. What should it be about? What should be the focus? What should it be aiming towards? What should be the compass of where it's actually moving towards? When you get to the end of your life or the end of your marriage and those last five to ten years and you're thinking about, man, what was our marriage about? You don't want to answer. Well, it was all about the marriage. It was all about the family. What should it be about? What should it be about? And to understand that, let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden in the first marriage. And one of the verses that we've looked at a few different times in uh, this series is that it says that God made man and God made woman and that they were both naked and unashamed. And this is one of those beautiful verses that is saying that they were completely known by one another, they were completely vulnerable with one another, they were completely loved and accepted by one another, hiding nothing, something that we all long for in every relationship. And yet, they weren't just standing around in the garden going, hey, I'm naked, are you naked? Yeah, I'm unashamed. Are you unashamed? Yeah, this is great. We're naked and unashamed. That's not all it was. There was something more. God actually had something for them beyond nudity. And here's um, what it was. In Genesis 1, it says this, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then a little while later, he says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is before Eve is made. And then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Okay, so here's what we see in these verses. God takes man and woman, he puts them in the garden, and he says, I have a job for you. I have a job for you. It wasn't just, hey, I give you paradise. Enjoy it. It wasn't just, I give you paradise, and I want you to have someone in your paradise to enjoy it with. It wasn't even just that. Like, even when we've talked about that God made Eve for Adam and that he it said it wasn't good for him to be alone and we've talked about that community is important when that's all very true and yet why did God actually give him somebody it was because God had given him work to do God had given him a job to do God had given him a task to do God didn't just put them in the garden and say enjoy see you later he said I've got something for you to do And it says this, God said, be fruitful and multiply. And that has to do with having children, but it has to do with more than that. It has to do with more than just having children. It's because God's concern is God makes Adam and Eve in his image. He makes them to display what he is like. He makes them to show what he is like, which means every single human being has dignity and value and worth because we are made to show what God is like. We're made in his image. That's what that means if you've heard that before. And God wants the whole world to be filled with his image. He wants the whole world to be filled with people that display, here's what he is like. Here's what he's like. And so he gives them a job. He says, be fruitful and multiply, which has to do with having children most literally for them. But it also has to do with filling the world with more and more people that show the glory of God. And he gives them a job. He says, fill the earth and subdue it. See, they're they're not just supposed to be there. They're supposed to do things. They're supposed to create. God is a creative God. God, I mean, in this, he, he made the world and he made fish and he made plants and he made birds and he made all of this stuff. And then he takes Adam and Eve and he says, now I'm giving you a commission to create. 
I'm giving you a commission to, to fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it, to rule and to reign. Kind of like um, um, God is the king and, and they are his servants, his stewards that are ruling for him in the world. So they have two big tasks. They have a task to rule in the world, to show what God is like, and they, have a, and they have a task to be fruitful and multiply, creating more and more people that bear the image of God, that show what God is like. And then you go down here, it's not good that the man should be alone. Part of that is because it's, none of us should be alone. We should have community. But it's not good because he can't do that task by himself. He can't do that task. And if you uh, ladies are offended that it says make a helper for him, that word helper is not made that word helper is most of the time used of God. It, it, it has the sense of a strong helper, of someone that is lacking and deficient in some ways and needs a strong person to help them. If I can't lift something, which rarely happens, but if I can't lift something, because I'm huge, but if I can't lift something and I need somebody to come over and I say, hey, help me, it's not because they're weak, it's because they're strong, Right? Most of the time, this word helper is used of God. And so it's saying Adam and Eve are in the garden, and God gives Adam this enormous task, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish. Every fisherman's favorite verse, have a dominion over the fish. But you can't do that by yourself. You can't rule in the world. You can't show what I'm like. You can't be creative like I'm creative. You can't rule this world by yourself. So God gives him a task. What is marriage to be about? It's never changed. It's never changed. It's about a mission that they have. They have a mission to fill the earth with people that bear God's image and to show what he's like in this world. They have a mission to do that. This is what marriage is about because it's what life is about. It's what life is about. I mean, in the New Testament, when Jesus dies and then he resurrects, and he gathers his disciples to him before he leaves, what does he tell them? He says something very similar to this. He says, go into all the world and make disciples, which is almost the same thing as saying, be fruitful and multiply. It's just not just physical children anymore. It's spiritual children as well. That he says, I want you to go into this world and multiply more and more people that bear my image that show my glory, that show what I'm like. What is marriage about? It's not just about itself. Marriage is not just about itself. This is why Jesus says that marriage can't be ultimate because it's not what is ultimate. Jesus and his will for our lives is what is ultimate. Jesus and his calling on our lives is what is ultimate. And what Jesus says that marriage is about is mission. From the very beginning, it was about mission. And today, it's about mission because life is about mission. And I'm using that word mission, meaning it's about going into the world and helping more and more people see what God is like. To make more and more people, to make more and more people that bear God's image more and more fully. This is what marriage is about because this is what life is about. See, marriage can easily become something that's really inwardly focused. 
can become really inwardly focused. If you're married, you know this. It can really easily just become about us, our thing, and family, same way. Us and our kin and our children and our, sometimes that's immediate family, depending on your family. Sometimes it's extended family. And wherever you draw the circle, it can be really easily an inwardly focused thing. But from the very beginning, Jesus said, I put you together for a task in this world, for a mission in this world. There's a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the 1940s. He was a German pastor and professor, and he was a part of the plot to, one of the plots to assassinate Hitler. And uh, there's a great biography you can read um, about him. And he was put into prison for his role in that. And he wrote a wedding sermon. He thought he was going to be freed at some point. And he wrote a wedding sermon, I think, for his cousin that he was going to deliver. It was a great wedding sermon. It's become very famous. Uh, He never had the chance to deliver it. But he said in that wedding sermon this, Marriage is more than your love for each other. In your love, you see only the heaven of your own happiness. But in marriage, you are placed at a post of responsibility towards the world and mankind. Your love is your own private possession, but marriage is more than something personal. It is a status, an office. See, he's saying that marriage is beyond just about itself. It's for something. So what Jesus says, this is what Genesis says, that marriage is for something. Even the verse that we've looked at multiple times, this verse, and this is when Paul quotes it, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then Paul's commentary on that is this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And here's what Paul is saying. Marriage is a beautiful picture of the good news of what Jesus is like. this, This comes after Paul describes a husband is to lay down his wife, lay down his life for his wife. He's supposed to do that too. But he's supposed to lay down his life for his wife. He says that in 1 Corinthians 7. He's supposed to lay down his life for his wife. He's supposed to do that. He's supposed to serve her and die to meet her needs. And a wife is supposed to serve her husband, to respect her husband, to lay down her wants and needs and submit to her husband. And we talked all about that, if, if that kind of gets weird for you. But it's both of them have this beautiful calling to serve the other person. And Paul says, this refers to Christ in the church, which is saying it's this beautiful picture of the gospel. But even that, if you have this institution, you have this office, as Bonhoeffer says, that is a beautiful picture of the gospel, is that then supposed to be hidden? Is that then supposed to just be about itself? And of course not. If you have this, if what Paul says is, This mystery is profound, that marriage is amazing, it's profound, it's beautiful. And he says it refers, it points to, it shows what Jesus' relationship with the church is like. That's what Paul says, it's amazing. Then why would we go, oh, okay, well, let's just have that just for ourselves. No, again. In the garden, we see that God gave man and woman a task. We see in Matthew and throughout the Bible that life is, is about that same task. And even the fact that marriage is a beautiful picture of the gospel should help us to understand that marriage is really important because it's a picture of the gospel. But because it's a picture of the gospel, it's not ultimate. The gospel is ultimate. People seeing this relationship 
People seeing the love of God, people seeing the grace that Jesus has for people, people seeing that Jesus is willing to lay down his life and serve people. That's what's ultimate. And that's why Jesus says, if you're you're not willing to follow me and instead you have any other relationship above me, then don't, don't follow me. Because what it means to follow him, what it means to walk with him, is that he's ultimate. What it means is that this is ultimate. See, what is marriage about? It's not about itself. It's about helping people to discover this. It's about helping people to discover who Jesus is, what life with him is. And in a marriage or in any community, you're more effective together. You're more effective. I mean, why, just back to the garden, why, why does he not just, I mean, there's obviously a very practical reason Adam wouldn't be able to have children, but he says that Adam needs someone in that job. That in a marriage, it says that this happens. It refers to Christ in the church. That picture is portrayed. Not just by yourself. Now, you have this in community. This is why community is also really important. That's why for us, community groups are a big deal because people come together and they're able to show what this is like and able to be a part of this. But a marriage is an intimate, small community that two people come together and are able more effectively to show what Jesus is like than by themselves. You're more able, you're more able to show the servant-heartedness of God, the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus together than you are by yourself. You can't show a picture of grace and mercy and service by yourself. Jesus puts people together. He, He joins them together. As Jesus says, part of what marriage is, that spiritual reality, he joins them together. Not just for themselves, but he joins them together so that they can do in the world what they couldn't have done by themselves. They can make a difference in the world. Look, if you're married you can have more of an impact in this world together with the person that God gave you than you can by yourself. You can. I know it's true for me. And if you're not married, the same is true in community. That together, God can do more than just what you can do by yourself. What is marriage about? It's about the mission that God has for us. It's about displaying His glory in this earth. So what... What competes with having this focus? If what marriage is supposed to be about is you get to the end of your life in those last few years, you say, we lived our life with a focus on making disciples. We lived our life seeking to display God's glory, not just to get to the end of our life and go, man, we had a good life together. That was awesome. If that's what life is, if that's what life is, and in fact, if that's what marriage is, what competes with this? And here's one big giant one that you know if you're married and have kids. It's kids. Kids can become probably the biggest distraction to this. Now again, kids are good. A wife is good. A husband's good. All those things are good. But kids can, a marriage can easily become all about the kids. Take, take a minute and not even, just, not even just thinking about marriage having a focus on following Jesus together. But just... You, you know people that the marriage has become all about raising kids. It's become all about that. So there should be some conversations had about 
conflict, but there's not because it's all about kids. There should be some romance, and there's not because it's all about kids. There should, there should be some loving and serving one another and talking to one another. How can we meet each other's needs? But there's not because it's all about the kids. Do you know that statistically one of the biggest spikes of divorce happen after the kids leave the home? Because everything has been about raising kids, and then 20 years later, they go, we don't even, who are you, and don't even really know you or like you. Maybe that's happened to some of you. Kids can become the biggest distraction to a marriage just thriving. Here, One of the guys that we've looked at, not a Christian author, just a kind of a well-known marriage sociologist that uh, in Seattle, developed something called the Love Lab where they can predict with 91% accuracy if a, if a couple is going to stay together. He says this, and he's not talking about what I'm talking about, about a focus on following Jesus. He's just talking about how kids can overtake a marriage. He says this, examples of child-centered couples might include the pair who points to a child's sleep patterns as the reason they've stopped having sex with the partners, who say that between Little League, Scouts, and Science Projects, There's absolutely no time for that weekend getaway. The couple that claims that the husband's job must be the primary focus of his life because the family needs a substantial income to send the kids to the best colleges. Do you see the pattern? The couple's needs are always trumped in favor of the kids. But in the long run, the children's needs aren't really being served at all. So he's just talking about that kids can easily take over and, and a couple doesn't even really have much of a relationship anymore because it all becomes about the kids. He's just talking about that, and that's absolutely true. And yet the same thing then is true, that if there's supposed to be a focus that's even beyond, it's even beyond just the couple's needs, but it's actually following Jesus together and doing the work that God has given to us in this earth of loving and serving and helping more people know him. If that can happen that it takes away from a couple, it can happen just as much with that. See, if you're, if you're a parent, if you're a parent, you're more than a parent. And a parent, is, it's a very important role as a mom or as a dad. It's a very important role. But it's not everything. It's not ultimate. It's not ultimate. And it easily can happen, what Gottman is saying, that it overtakes a marriage relationship And it easily can happen that it overtakes the calling that Jesus has on your life to follow him to make disciples. But another focus, another thing that competes with this is, and and a lot of times this happens before there's kids, but it can happen even after there's kids, is that it just becomes couple-focused. It's not child-focused, as Gottman was talking about. It's just couple-focused or happiness-focused, maybe even, you can think about. That everything just becomes about each other. So that means every decision that's made, all the money that's spent, all the time that's spent, all the, all the direction and the focus, if you think about those last five, ten years, it's more about just building a life here on this earth. What will make us happy? What will give us fulfillment? What will give us satisfaction? What do we want for us? And everything becomes about the couple or about happiness in general because everything is focused on building a life here on this earth even though we're only here for a handful of years. And everything becomes about that. How can I get the best life I can have on this earth, the most happiness I can have on this earth? And everything revolves around that. Everything revolves around that. 
And so you can have a competitor of a child-focused relationship. You can have a competitor of a couple-focused relationship, which often ends in a lot of fear and insecurity if it's just couple-focused because you become codependent on the other person, putting way too much weight and way too much pressure on them to meet all your needs and all your happiness and all your satisfaction because all your focus is on them. You know, something that Christians often say is God first, family second. So let me ask you, if you're married or have kids, what would change in your life tomorrow if family was first? If you decided, I'm changing it, forget it. Family first, God second. Would anything change? I think it's an important question to think about. Because we can easily pay lip service to that idea, God first, with anything. If you're not married, just think about anything. Maybe you go God first and job second. Or Would anything change if it was flipped? That's something, I think it's an important question to help us think. It's an important question to help us think. Is anything competing with the focus that Jesus has given me of my life? Is anything competing? Is anything distracting and taking away from what Jesus has called me to do with my life? I mean, do we feel the force and the weight of what Jesus said and take it seriously when he said, you have to hate this if you want to be my disciple? Knowing he doesn't literally mean go walk around and hate people, but that by comparison, that's what your life looks like as a disciple of Jesus? Do we feel that and actually take that seriously? There's a lot of competitors to what Jesus calls us to, and I think a lot of times we can think, Man, if I, if I were to live like this, wouldn't that hurt my marriage? If I were to start taking Jesus seriously, if I were to start living in such a way that the focus of my life was following Jesus, that the focus of our marriage was we are following Jesus together, and we want to see more and more people in this earth become disciples of Jesus, that the earth would be filled with his glory, that people would know him and love him, that we would live our life serving others and loving others so that they would know and love God. If we go, man, there's a lot of competitors to that, but if I, were, if I were to switch and start living like that, wouldn't that hurt my marriage? Wouldn't that hurt? And the truth is that it would make your marriage more beautiful and more close and more intimate than it is now. My wife and I are watching Band of Brothers uh, I've already seen it. Don't don't uh, judge me, but you can judge her. She is the first time she's seen it. But uh, <laughs> um, and we've been watching that. She loves it. It's great. Uh, we're, we're watching that, and the soldiers. I mean, you, you you know this from movies, or if you've ever been a part of something like this, or maybe even, even if you were in the military, you get close. Why do why do soldiers get really close? Why 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 do, why in Band of Brothers is it a Band of Brothers? versus the title being a bunch of soldiers. Why is it a band of brothers? Because they're on a mission together, right? You get, they get close because they have a mission, not just because they sat in a circle as soldiers and said, tell me about your life. They get close as a band of brothers because they have a mission together. The same is true with a basketball team or anything. You get close when you have a mission together. See, sometimes when we talk about what if I actually switched my life to focus on Jesus and that was the focus of our marriage? Would that hurt the marriage? No. 
it would make it more bonded and more close. And everything starts to click. If you wonder, man, why don't we don't, you know, all the different things we've talked about, communication. You think that soldiers have stuff to communicate about? Oh, they definitely do. You think that they have things, I mean, maybe not soldiers, but if, if you were living your life, if the focus of your marriage was let's be making disciples together, you think you would have things to pray about? Sometimes couples go, man, we, we, man, our prayer life, we don't really pray that much together. You think you'd have stuff to pray about? Yeah, you would have stuff to pray about. You think you'd have stuff to talk about? You know, the truth is, a lot of times, as couples are together for longer and longer, you go to a restaurant, you can tell who's dating and who's married by the dating couples are staring each other's eyes and talking to each other, and the married couples are sitting side by side going, and that's it. That's all they're doing. They don't even have food. They're just making that noise because they've gone delusional. (laughs) Uh, No, they're they're actually eating, but... um, Uh, But you get bored. You get bored if you have nothing. But soldiers are not bored. If you actually are saying, man, our our marriage has a focus. There's something we're doing together. You don't get bored. Everything starts to click. Everything starts to click together. This is how God designed community. From the very beginning, we saw it in the garden. If they would have just been standing around saying, hey, you're naked. Yeah, I'm naked. Hey, this is a great tree. Yeah, that's a great tree. If that's all, they would have gotten bored. But God said, I have a job for you. I have a mission for you. I have something for you to actually accomplish. This is how God designed community in general and marriage in particular, is that there's to be a focus to it. There's to be a focus to it. It's not just supposed to be about itself. Otherwise, it gets dry. It gets bored. You don't pray together. You don't talk anymore. And things start to fade because it has to have a mission. It has to have a focus. This is why often what happens is that that goes away. And so a husband will kind of get his own hobby and a wife will get her own hobby and they'll find some group of people that are doing what they're doing in some way representing some sort of mission together that they're on and they start spending time there because they know that that's what they're built for. But for some reason, don't say, let's do this together. Let's have a mission together. Let's let's not make marriage ultimate, but let's make Jesus ultimate. Let's not make marriage ultimate, but let's make the calling that Jesus has on our life ultimate. And it won't hurt the relationship. It bonds the relationship. It makes the relationship stronger. And everything begins to click when there's a mission. Everything begins to click. C.S. Lewis talked about this with friendship in general. That you, you don't get community by focusing on community. You don't get friendship by focusing on friendship. That if you want strong, close, and tight-knit relationships, you don't get that by focusing on strong and close and tight-knit relationships. You get it by focusing on something outside of yourself. Here's how C.S. Lewis says it, just talking about friendship in general. He says, that is why, and you know, this is his language, I'm not trying to be rude with this. That is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be, I see nothing and I don't care about the truth. I only want a friend. No friendship can arise. 
though affection, of course, may. So he's saying people can like each other and kind of feel good about each other. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. And friendship must be about something. Even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. (laughs) Brits. Those who have nothing, always playing with mice. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. See what he's saying? If you just, if the folk, he's talking just about friends. So if you're single or even just if you're married and you're, if the focus, man, I just want friends. I just want friends. I just want people. And you don't actually get it. But if it's going somewhere, if it's about something, then it, I mean, no soldier, no soldier in Band of Brothers ever just said, man, I'm so close with this guy. Why? Because we just said, let's be close. No, you're close because you're shooting Nazis and you're trying to survive. So let's all go shoot Nazis. No, you're close because you're, you're, trying to, you're trying to survive. There's a mission to it. There's a mission. And so it bonds you. It's about something. It's going somewhere. And there's someone that comes alongside of you and you're going in the same direction. So what competes with having this focus? It might be it's a child-focused relationship. It might be it's a couple or a happiness-focused relationship. And we can often think, if I were to switch my focus and go, I'm about, and this is true with just community in general, and it's true with friendship in general, and it's true with marriage in particular, that if you're saying, if I switched and said, let's make this about following Jesus, let's make this about making disciples, wouldn't it hurt the relationship? More time would go there, more energy would go there, more money would go there, more, wouldn't that hurt it? No, it wouldn't. It would bond it. It would make it closer. It would make it more exciting. It would give it something to be about. And this is how God designed us. So, finally, how can we live our marriage with purpose? How can we live our marriage with this kind of purpose? Jesus says that what our life is supposed to be about is making disciples, which means what our life is supposed to be about is God has given us love and grace, and we're supposed to help other people discover that love and grace that God has for them. Help them discover what life looks like with him. That's, that's what our life is to be about. Therefore, that's what our marriage is to be about. That's what it was about in the garden. That's what Paul said it's about. It's what Jesus said it's about. That's what, that's what a marriage is supposed to be about. So how can we live our marriage with this focus, with this purpose, so that you get to the end of your life and, and that's what it was about? Or if you're single, how can your life be lived like this. And let me just give you four quick things. The first is this. Most of these will apply to everybody, but um, some are in particular for marriage. But the first is this. You need to focus on Jesus individually. See, everything we've talked about, conflict, communication, friendship, serving one another, all the different topics we talked about, that flows from you receiving that from Jesus and then giving it to others. So if you want to live your life with purpose, you've got, you, you, look, you've got to focus on Jesus. Everything flows from what you receive. Everything flows from what you receive. What God does in you, he wants to do through you. But everything starts with this motion that you are, you are experiencing God's grace for you and his love for you and that he served you and that he's patient with you and that he's tender with you. And so then you are like that towards others. 
So you can't, you, you can't say, man, I'm going to go help other people discover the grace of God. If, if you are not going, man, God is so gracious to me. So look, the, someone told me when I became a pastor that the best thing you can ever do for your church is love Jesus. That before I work on preaching or before I work on counseling or before I work on learning more about our culture and where things are going, I've got to experience the love of Jesus and love him or I can't give anything. So if you want to live your marriage with a purpose of helping other people discover God's grace in their life, you first got to experience it yourself. And here, here's the truth. Some, some of you, maybe you are living your life like this, whether if you're married or not married. But if you're not doing what I'm talking about here, of focusing on Jesus, you get burnt out really easy. I know that's the, that can be the temptation for me, is that I am, I am living my life like this, right? I mean, I'm a pastor. This is how I live my life. And yet, if I'm not focusing on Jesus, and if you're not focusing on Jesus in this endeavor, then what happens is you start operating just out of your own strength. You're not operating out of, I've received grace from Jesus, so I'm giving grace to others. I experience God's patience for me, so I can be patient with others. I experience God serving me, so I can serve others. Instead, you're just trying to serve others and be patient with others and be tender with others, but it's not coming from anywhere. It's just coming from your strength. And your strength is weak. All of ours is. So you begin to burn out and you begin to get tired. So even if you're like, man, I am, my marriage does have a purpose. I am living like this. If you sense in yourself that you're burning out or getting tired, are you over here focusing and experiencing what Jesus has done for you? If not, go back there first and experience that. Second thing is focus on Jesus together. Look, and I, I don't want to list out how for you to do this, but Here's the question. Are you focusing on Jesus together in some way? Some couples read the Bible together. Some read a book together. I mean, are you focusing on Jesus together in some way? Every couple who I've ever done their wedding or who I've done premarital counseling with says, we want our marriage to be centered on Jesus. Okay, that's great, but how is it? What does it mean? Are you focusing on Jesus together in some way? Think about how you'll do that, okay? Third thing is this. Plan for the health of your marriage. Plan for the health of your marriage. And this is, you know, we spent several weeks just talking about your marriage, but your marriage has to be a beautiful picture of the gospel in order for people to see the gospel is beautiful. Your marriage has to refer to and point to the relationship Jesus has with the church. Otherwise, when people look at your marriage, they go, if that's what Jesus in the church is like, then that's weird. So you have to be intentional about cultivating health in your marriage. And we, I mean, if you're like, how do I do that? Well, go back and listen to the last nine sermons because that's what it's been about is your marriage has to be a culture of the gospel which only happens through intentionality. It doesn't happen by accident. And then finally is this. Focus on Jesus individually. Focus on Jesus together. Plan for the health of your marriage. And then finally is focus on God's mission. Focus on it. It, it doesn't, you don't drift. We don't drift into living with purpose. No one drifts purposefully, right? Right? You have to, you have to, 
as a couple, and we do this in our community groups, you have to go, here is what our focus is. Here's what we're actually doing. Here's what we're about. You've, you've got to be able to actually be able to answer that question. Specifically. I mean, broadly, you, your marriage needs to be focused on God's calling for you, which means everything. It means where you live and, and what you spend your time and your money and your relationships. It means all of it is under the rubric of I, we've got a calling from God. But it also means specifically. What is it? What, I mean, what, how are you making disciples? How are you about helping other people experience the love and grace that Jesus has for them? How are you about that as a couple? How are you about that? Talk about it tonight. Talk about it tonight. Look, the, the title of this message and all of these uh, sermons have kind of some kitschy title, but th this one is Don't Grow Old Together because it's, what I'm saying is, don't, don't let the vision of your life, don't let the vision of your marriage, or if, you're, or if you're single, just your own individual life or your community, don't let the vision of that be, man, we're just, we're just two old happy people. Don't let that be the extent. I mean, let, let the vision you have of what your life is, is it was about something. That together, we went down in a blaze of glory and sing Bon Jovi, you know, and just... If you haven't seen Young Guns, you need to watch it. Because some of you are like, what is he talking about? But Bon Jovi, Blaze of Glory. Let that be the vision that you have of your life. That, that it's not just we grow old and happy together, but we were about something. And we saw something happen because we followed Jesus together. And I guarantee you, you'll be closer and you'll be more bonded and you'll get to the end of your life and you'll, you'll have been faithful to what Jesus called you to. Last thing is this. As we're just talking about this, I want you to ask this question, what will be the focus of your marriage? You, I mean, you have a choice. And, and, and um, as we've talked about all these different things about marriage, we've talked about all these different things. And they're all important. Forgiving one another and loving each other deeply and serving each other and being friends together. All of those things are so important. But what will the focus, where will it go? Where will it go? And one last look at this verse. Look what he says. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And he says this is about Christ and the church. And do you know that Jesus left his family for us? You know, he says that part of what happens in a marriage is that husband leaves his father and his wife. And do you know that Jesus left his family for us? That, God, that Jesus was in perfect community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he left that to come here for us. That he, was, he made his life about something. And even on this earth, as a human. You know, I know it's weird for us to think sometimes about Jesus as a human, but he was a human being that had a mom and a dad and brothers. And yet, his life wasn't just about them. I'm sure that was hard for him, but he had a mission. He had a focus, and it was you and I. And that when we take communion, that's what we remember. Taking communion is a remembrance that Jesus left his family for us. That he doesn't call us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. That Jesus was willing to leave the perfect, beautiful community he had 
so that we could find perfect, beautiful community in him. That Jesus was willing to leave the comforts of home so that we could experience home and refuge in knowing him. That Jesus was willing to set aside all the peace and just a perfect, happy life to come after us and to bring us into his family. And he was willing to die and shed his blood and have his body broken in order to do that. And he was willing to do that not for people that were deserving, but for people that sin, that walk away from him, that build our lives on ourselves. And Jesus was willing to do exactly what he calls us to do. He was willing to leave his father and come to us to give us life. And so even when I say that the beginning of how do you do this is you focus on Jesus, even as you take communion, remember that Jesus calls us. He calls us to a task. He calls us to a mission. He calls us to lay down our lives to really find them. And yet that's exactly what he did for us. He's not some bad manager that just tells everybody else to do things but doesn't do anything himself. He's the one that came to this earth and left everything for us so that we could find life with him. And then he invites us to share in that calling. So if you're married, let your marriage be about this. And if you're single, let your community and your friendship be about this. Because this is what Jesus did for us. It's what he did for us. Let's pray and, and then we will we'll take communion to respond to Jesus. We'll sing songs to respond to Jesus because he's been good to us. God, I thank you that you left. Jesus, I thank you that you left. You left, as you say, the glory that you had with the Father to come to us. That you were willing to leave all the riches you had and make yourself poor for us. That you were willing to leave all the comforts you had and come to this earth as we will even begin focusing on in the next several weeks for us. God, I thank you that you were willing to take on human flesh for us. You were willing to sacrifice for us. That you were willing to come after us and leave everything to bring us into your family. Lord, I pray that all of us would take seriously that you've given us now the opportunity and the commission and the calling to be a part of that so that others may experience you, may know you, Lord, I pray for every marriage that it wouldn't just be about itself, it wouldn't be about kids, it wouldn't be about happiness, but it would be about you and your will, and through that, that there would be deeper intimacy in a marriage and deeper connection with kids and deeper joy and happiness than ever if it was just about itself. Lord, I pray that we would all take that seriously, that you would help us to have a focus that is on you and not make anything above you. Help us now, Lord, as we sing and take communion to delight in and remember how good you are. In your name, Jesus, we pray.